Some Man City fan apparently slugged him. Oh, I like Jeremy. Shit, you're old. It was a direct attack at you. Like, you look every bit 30, huh? He'll be killed by a number of men in the dugout. Watch, watch, rumbles on. Pina colada, large one. Yes, coming in hot with episode 17 of this season, Football Played on Paper podcast. On today's show, we got a penalty fiasco, Vardy scores a hat-trick, potentially a perfect hat-trick, and a little mention for Sammy Nazari. Full panel here today, boys. Um, I might start with the haircut boy, Halsey, so... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Appreciate we're audio only, but yeah, talk us through it, mate. What have you gone yeah, for here? Uh, well, it's, it's all right. I know we're audio only, but it's a pretty easy one to visualize for everyone who's listening at home. It's just uh, number two all over. Um, <laughs> I've got quite fair hair, so it looks like a zero, but um, I think I'm pulling it off. A glare uh, off the bulbs doing you no favors. Yeah, no, nah, I need to fix the lighting for sure. <laughs> Speaking of twos, Jobber, how are you, mate? Got it. <laughs> that's good. You're going really strong tonight. Um, that's good. Finally get a laugh out of you. A bit of positive energy. No, look, I'm all right. I was pretty flat um, Saturday, but Spurs gave me a little bit of a smile last night, so I'm a little bit better. Barney, just lol, really. Uh, yeah, pretty pretty flat, but uh, when it went for a run before in my Spurs top just to show my solidarity with the boys, but uh, yeah, couldn't get him over the line. Yeah, fell, fell down a pothole, never to be seen again. People throw um, eggs at you. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so Barney, no. before we go on any further, so was it an actual run or was it an Ndombele type run? Like, you know, more of a walk. Well, I modelled my physique and my effort off of Ndombele, so it was pretty much a walk to the corner store and back. Yeah, but after the 60th minute, just went home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's the point um, of playing? That really plays in well to that Spurs stat that's came through that uh, they covered the least amount of Ks in the Premier League, 20th in terms of running stats. So... Barney just trying to get Sounds him over the right. edge, huh? Trying to get him into <laughs> a solid 19th. Um, all right, we might as well crack in to the weekly happenings. All righty. Let's move straight into the future because we're living in 2021, <laughs> but Julian Nagelsmann's living in 2030. He's rocked up to Bayern Munich training last week on an electric skateboard. Now, if you're a local of Melbourne, you might have seen these zooming around St Kilda Beach and that, but he's, uh, he's rolled in in the full Bayern training kit on an electric skateboard, um, I thought it was just really impressive that in 2021, Bayern Munich have a manager that's 34 rocking up on an electric skateboard. That's uh, 10 years ago. You never would have thought that would be happening. I want to know what um, what sneakers was he wearing? Was he wearing those night mags um, from like Back to the Future? Adidas. Or what? Adidas. Adidas yeah, Of course he was. Live your brand. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, they are sponsored. Um, so. Yeah, Bunny, it's... It's good to see, isn't it, Nagelsmann? Because last week he was banging on about how um, how the game should modernise or Americanise, and you know it's just it's really out of character for an American person to come and say, "Oh, actually, we do it slightly better." Um, so no, it's good. It's good he's in the media. Well, he's just taking that by the scruff of the neck and just moving everyone forward, whether they like it or not. So I'm really looking forward to seeing Jose Mourinho rock up on an electric skateboard next week. I think that will be a sight to see. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, but I'm thinking, who's the last manager I'll probably want to see on an electric skateboard in the Premier League? I think it's Brucey. I was thinking the exact same thing. <laughs> it looks like Brucey. he fell off an electric skateboard and smashed his face Bru- on the ground. <laughs> Brucey had come in too hot and then run into St. Maxima or something like that and just really ruined their season. Ollie, Ollie would have the most expensive one and not know what to do with it. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't can, go, you, though. can you imagine Steve Bruce and Mike Ashley rolling in together on an electric skateboard? <laughs> How could that Tandem. be? In hand, hand in hand. Alrighty, next one we got here is uh, James Rodriguez. We we announced first uh, first to the media last week that he'd moved to Qatar. Uh, he's gone from Everton, and he's got a new clause in his contract. Um, don't know how he got this one in there, but I guess they're probably thinking it's never going to happen anyway. So. He's got a clause in his contract that says if PSG come for him, um, the club he's at now have to let him go for free and instantly. They have no say in the matter. That's if PSG approach him. So, Jobber, I know you felt pretty strongly about this one. Yeah, I, I feel really strongly about this one. So, which which clause is more outrageous? PSG to come in for him or Anthony Martial to win the Ballon d'Or? Martial's Ballon d'Or one's more yeah, outrageous. For sure. Yeah, like, definitely. That's, that's like, it's not... Less so PSG right now, but like you went back 18 months. Rodriguez is, he's definitely a PSG signing. 
well overpriced, can't really do a whole lot. That's perfect piece no of interest sell in shirts. Defending. Yeah, no <laughs> work rate. Downhill skier. Yeah. Downhill <laughs> skier. Perfect for them. And uh, the last one we got here, a bit of a sad one. Samir Nasri has retired from football. Why is this sad? Because so he's a he's a bit of a bit of a you know well known player around the field for he's, your arch rivals and mine yeah, too. But it's sad, sad. And, <laughs> and he just came off a drug ban. I didn't even know he was still playing. Where's he playing? He's not. He was on an eighteen. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you. I'll give you a guess where he's playing. Australian ninth guess. division. No, he's on the forty-eight game band. <laughs> no, no, he's uh, he was at Anderlecht with uh, Big Boy Company and Craig Bellamy. He had um, he had coach. some good years though. I mean, I'm you remember him at his peak. He did um, did really well for Man City. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to remember the drug band, but I remember some of those glorious goals he got at City. City legend, right? Mm. Doesn't take yeah. much. <laughs> no, no, not back then. <laughs> they all started Arsenal and worked their way over to City. <laughs> Alrighty, let's get straight into the games and we'll start off with one that probably didn't deliver the spice we were hoping for, but it was a good result for City and that was uh, Chelsea nil, Man City 1. So yeah, a bit un- underwhelming in the fact that Chelsea didn't really go for it, especially at home from what I was seeing. It looked, Man City was sort of dominating the ball most of the game. Jobber, how did you see it? Yeah, really disappointed with Chelsea to be honest. Um, they They seemed quite happy with a nil-all draw for most of the game. And then I sort of couldn't determine whether or not they were happy with the result or City were just better because um, they, they had all the play, all the run. There's like a couple of moments where Big Rom sort of got in front of Diaz and you're like, oh, he's going to roll him here and there a chance. But they didn't really create anything. And um, I think oddly enough, I sort of the game was screaming out for Mason Mount um, and they seemed to really miss that continuity. Like it just wasn't happening for him. Yeah, it was really it really struggled for them up front. They had Werner starting over Habits, which I, I took as like them just trying to get on the counter and hopefully he gets in behind and maybe cuts back to Rom because we all hope he's not shooting. Um, but yeah, it, it uh, didn't really work for him. I think Habits ended up coming on later in the game, but yeah, still couldn't open it up for them. Yeah, I think um, I think I might have even briefly talked to you during the game, Barney, about how Lukaku. You guys probably agree with this. Is probably if you're going to have an isolated striker. Um, Lukaku is not a bad player to have that because he mm. actually can hold it up for a good amount of time and still work it forward into dangerous positions. But he didn't even seem to be like doing that in this game either. Like he was just genuinely isolated, like any other player, like Harry Kane or any other striker in the league, um, and wasn't able to to get himself out of the situation. So yeah, they didn't. Their, their their plan going forward just didn't eventuate, whereas Man City's did. But I think they defended pretty much how they would have wanted to. I'd imagine. Yeah, I think both teams would have defended how. How like um, how they would have wanted to? I, I think it was. I, it feels though like they sort of cancelled each other out a bit, and it definitely didn't deliver as you say, behind the fireworks that I was expecting. At least um, I thought this might have been one of the juiciest games of the Premier League all year. But um, what did you guys think of the substitutes for Chelsea? I mean, I think Tommy Tuchel. I think he, for me, he made them at unusual times and and brought on players that I I think wouldn't affect the game. Um, to the extent that needed to be affected by. Because like, at that stage, he started pulling those substitutes because obviously um, Reese James got injured early, so that that was one down. But his other two subs he made after the goal was conceded. So in theory, he's got to chase the game. He's at home. I mean, they were just unusual substitutes for me. What did you think? Yeah, well, I, I on that Reese James uh, getting subbed off, obviously that wasn't a planned substitution. I was forced through injury. But I think that's also what really uh, <clears throat> took a lot of the sort of attacking spice out of uh, Chelsea because you could see like, like, like you, we all know James can really bomb forward and he's quite electric down the down the right side there. Um, and as soon as he went off, they had to put Azpilicueta out there who's much more defensive and not going to get forward. And then you can see the legs he's got there. Yeah, and you can yeah. just see City just start to really pummel that side as well, like Grealish and Kins- and Kinsello especially getting on beyond Grealish and really exposing sort of Azpilicueta's lack of pace, which probably, yeah, like hurt Chelsea on the defend- defence and then also going forward as well, less for Rom to work off. Um, but, yeah, like the other subs they brought on, like Loftus-Cheek. When did he come on again? What was time was that? That was 60 or, or 76. I thought he looked good. Yeah, he did. Oh, yeah. But it, it was a bit odd because, like, they looked like they were trying to drive more through midfield through like his power and size. But you kind yeah. of feel like Kante's the man for that. So, you're like, why would you withdraw Kante to do that? You put him both on, I reckon. Yeah. 
So I've, Havertz came on for Kante at 60 minutes and Loftus-Cheek come on for Jorginho at 76 minutes. So they're the subs that I'm like, oh, if you're Tommy Tooks and you've got the riches that he's got, I don't know. I think you'd, I'd, I'd have a different approach, I would have thought. I feel like I feel like they're really nursing Kante back from this injury he's had because he's – I don't think he's run out a game recently or it might have been a cup game or something, but like – he keeps getting subbed on or subbed off in games. And like you would think he'd be one player you would never him and Jorginho are probably two players you think would never actually get subbed off. But like Kante got subbed off. Um because mm. I think he's still coming from an injury. And and Jorginho obviously has wanted some more drive maybe through the center instead of like that sort of passing acumen that he has. So what are you saying? That um Tommy Tooks needs some, you know, finances to get some depth in his squad. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I reckon that soul signing just wasn't enough. They need another sort of, you know, great midfielder to come in. <laughs> So I think it's interesting again to see Manchester City. So they started last season quite slowly as well and then built their way in. Like they didn't come storming out of the gates. And it seems like they're building again because that was, I think that was their best performance so far of the season. Like to work your way around Chelsea tactically and physically um, really sets a good sign for them moving forward. But do you think it's a, like, is it a really strong shot across the bow from City or is it just so early in the season? You're not too concerned if you're too cool. But Guardiola's got one over you. Oh, yeah, I think yeah. you. I think all signs point to Man City going on to win this title for me. I think they they look too strong um, in the you know the glimpses that I've seen them this season. I've predicted them at the start of the year too. I think this is a, a big exclamation mark job. Um, like I know you're saying it might be early in the season, but I think this is a big statement here um, to to beat Chelsea and. And to not really look that in danger e- either against Chelsea, um, the only uh, the only thing that's panning out a little bit differently to what I thought would be that I thought you know Chelsea, Man City, and Liverpool I thought they would go um, you know huge runs unbeaten this year, and you know you'd ha- you'd need sort of mid nineties points to go and win the league. It's just not going to be the case this year. Look how many points these top teams have dropped already. Yeah, like they're falling over themselves, drawing and losing already. Do you know what I mean? So it's not going to take a big points total to win this league, I don't think. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't reckon it's uh, it's a big statement for City. I agree, and it's it's great for them, but I don't think it's as big a negative for Chelsea as what it might seem. Because like like Jobber said, like it's early in the season. It's and I think with City there, City and Chelsea's highs are pretty similar. Like they're like great teams, but City's lows are lower than Chelsea's. Like there's bigger variance in their performances. I find. Rather than uh, so, like City can like perform worse than like the worst performance we've seen from Chelsea is probably this game, and it was against possibly the second or third best team in the competition, who are a great team. So I don't see it as a bigger concern for Chelsea as it's sort of is a good thing for City. Yeah, it's one of those games where you can't be upset losing it. Really, like it kind of seemed like they would have been happy with the draw, Chelsea. Uh, they didn't get it, but it's like if you're going to lose some games and drop points in the year, you, you want to drop them to like City, Liverpool and and like some top four sort of teams um, and then guarantee those wins against all those mid-lower club sort of clubs. So um, I thought it was good. Man City deserved the win. Um, yeah, pretty, I don't know, nothing really exceptional from this. Uh, like as far as like stand out on the result, I think – not surprised Man City won, um, but I'm also not worried for Chelsea. So, yeah. What do you guys reckon? Deserved result? Yeah, I think in the in the grand scheme of things and what we saw in the game, it was deserved result for City. And uh, I think, they, like we said, they're better for them to get the result. All righty. Let's move on to a what was good for me, not so good for Jobber. Good for me. United nil. Yeah, very good for Josh. United nil. Aston Villa won. Before we talk about how good Villa were, let's cut straight to that stoppage time penalty. What oh, was Fernandez thinking? Jova, I'll let you have he first run reply and then, thinking, and then we'll rail it. Him. He was thinking goal. Um, oh, yeah, look, there's a bit going on there. So I'm a bit like upset about a number of things on that because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came out and was like, oh, Emmy Martinez shouldn't be saying things like that. And, you know, it's probably, shut up, Ollie. That's not the thing you need to be worried about. You don't need to be worried about the psychology of Emmy Martinez and him saying, oh, you should take the penalties. Um, good on Martinez for getting in his ear, I think. If you can get any percentage, it. if you can get any percentage against Bruno Fernandez from the penalty spot, absolutely take it because he scores it, like every other time. 
And it's not like that has never happened before. Like that yeah, happens yeah, at every penalty so shout. Excited. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I've yeah. seen that before. I've seen hundred times um, when we were playing at a lower level. I remember watching the goalkeeper hit someone in the face with a ball. Um, yeah. That was a different time. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> those were the days. Yeah, those were the days. But yeah, like I, I think I, I have no qualm with the penalty. I have no qualm with the goal. But I do have a really big issue with the way that like it's just excuses after excuses and oh the boys tried hard and all this crap like you. You don't hear that from Tuchel. You don't hear that from Guardiola. Um, it it so- really is starting to irk me. Has Solskjaer been to the uh, Jose Mourinho school of deflection, has he, where he just starts picking out <laughs> little tiny things and blaming them on the whole game, not bringing into the fact that uh, he his team played you know, pretty poorly and were absolutely like, dominated in, in periods at home yeah. against uh, what is essentially at the moment a middle table team. But Villa, like, to credit Villa, Villa are pretty good. Like, and Villa were, it's not as though this one nil was like a smash and grab either. Like, they, it was just as much there to be won for Villa as it was for Manchester United. Like, they, no, I, they, I, I, I agree, yeah. but like, they, they let, they, it felt like, like, I was talking to Josh about it uh, yesterday and I was like, it didn't feel like a United home game. No. Like, United were yeah. on the back foot from yeah. the start. Like, from the start, it was crazy. There was a lot of blocked shots for Manchester United, but I think that's oh, born. Oh, now he's that's talking about blocked shots. Yeah, but that's born out of frustration. They're not good chances. That's like, oh, we're not going to make a good chance here. We don't have the patience. We don't have the quality. So we're going to just take a shot that's going to get blocked. Um, and you've got players like Ronaldo and Mason Greenwood who just shoot a lot. Um, so you can have a block happen. shot from 40 yards out. It doesn't mean it was yeah, a good chance. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that I think that the game was bereft of chances for Manchester United, and that's why everyone's like, mm. oh, if only it scored the penalty. But if you say only if only it scored the penalty, you're missing the previous 90 minutes, which just weren't good enough. And again, think, like it's think, the same problems. I think Villa had like seven shots over the whole game and three shots on target, and you would say they had like double the amount of good chances that United had, and they had like 20 at 20 or 30 shots, I think, over the game. Matt, Matty Cash yeah. was given Luke Shaw nightmares even before he came off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he pulled himself off, faked an injury. Um, I think uh, it was sort of that one where, like, United played not very well and Aston Villa were really up for it. So, brought them sort of up to level and made it a real arm wrestle. So, the sort of the one-nil, one-goal win result seems fair. It could have been fair either way. But, yeah, I don't have a problem with uh, Aston Villa taking the points here. I was very happy with it. And I thought when... You got that penalty in the last couple of minutes. I was like, oh, you sons of bitches, you're going to get out of this one. Like, jammy as. Um, definitely a penalty, mind you. I don't know if you guys want to touch on that. 100% a penalty for me. Yeah, 100%, um, 100%. Yep. And then, yeah, but loved seeing him put it into the stratosphere. I do want to ask you one question about the goal. So, I watched a Leicester City game two weeks ago, and uh, Harvey Barnes was basically a second goalkeeper, and that was disallowed. Indeed, he oh. bullet header. Like, that's a goal every day of the week. Great header, no qualms. They're going, no, nah, Harvey Barnes is offside. So if someone can tell me why Ollie Watkins isn't offside now, two weeks later, for the exact same thing, almost the exact same header, like just a bullet, no way the keeper's saving it. But Harvey Barnes is offside in that respect. But then we go two weeks later and Ollie Watkins is now not in the play. And he even touched a header. Yeah, I thought I didn't. I sort of thought the same thing. It, no one mentioned it or they didn't watch it in the replay until like way later. And I was like, yeah. I sort of saw the same thing. They mentioned the Harvey Barnes incident, um, so I don't, I don't know whether they took some notes from the previous week and realized maybe those Harvey Barnes incidents were incorrect, and so they want to play the rule like this from now on, or what yeah. the go was, or they just missed it. But yeah, that was definitely a little bit controversial. I hate, in my eyes. I hate corrections that happen during the season. If that is the case, like probably yeah, is the right yeah, thing. Yeah. But like two weeks ago, I saw the exact same thing, and Leicester were robbed. I'm not saying Manchester yeah. United were robbed like over the course of 90 minutes. But for that particular circumstance, I was like, this doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so I, I just want to touch on the conversation that would have had to have happened inside Ollie's office um, at the start of the year when Ronaldo got signed and um, and he's around there with all his assistant coaches just thinking, okay, who are we going to put on pens? Because this is going to be a decision. You, Everyone knows that Ronaldo wants the pens. Everyone must know that, and he's just gone with um, with Bruno. So, yeah, I think I think that would have been an interesting conversation. And the follow up conversation now is that clearly Ronaldo will be taking them from from now on if he's on the pitch. So, I thought that was interesting. Job. The other thing I want to ask about is, like, it's too early to be talking about his job, but is it starting to turn to the point where it's it's a focus? It, it starts to get. It starts to get floated. So we we had the young boys um, loss 
then the win against West Ham, then the loss against West Ham, now the loss against Villa. That just was the the week that was or the 10 days that mm. were. I think at some point with all the money being pumped in and Oli being given all the resources, there's going to need to be a return. 100%. 100% there has to be a return. I don't understand why. It's like... It's like if you're a Formula One team and you buy like the best car, but then you get me to drive it and I'm going to go in there and I'll be like, I yep. don't know what the fuck I'm doing with this car, but it's sweet and I look cool doing it. It just doesn't make sense. Like, And as you said, like a week it was like, I feel like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is under more pressure for every result than any other manager in the competition. And like, that's not me just biased from United. I feel like that week's result, people are going to be either, oh, he's the best ever or oh, my God, he sucks, he's incompetent. But if you look at over the course of two years or four years or whatever it is now, show me what he's actually improved outside of buying a better player than the player that was in the position before. Yeah, but I agree with with that comment. And the answer to um, is he under more pressure than everyone else, yes. But is that unfair? No. I mean, there's the no way someone... You're the manager of Manchester someone, United. Like, people yeah, have done it before. Yeah, you're the manager of Manchester United, essentially the biggest club in the world. And you've just signed Ronaldo. You've just got Varane, who, who's just won a World Cup and every Champions League that's ever been for the last five years. Like, of course, the expectations are huge. Of course, you have to win every game. So, of course, the pressure's going to be on you. Yeah, but I've got another question for you guys. Who wins the sack race? Are we going to Solskjaer or Nuno Espirito Santo? Yeah, Nuno's really? been so uninspiring, though, hasn't he? I think like Spurs got. I know we're jumping ahead to the Spurs thing, but uh, like Spurs was like uninspiring against Mourinho, and but they had a bit of grit about them. And every now and then he'd have one of his textbook victories. But Nuno's got you know the the boringness and um, like the pragmatic um, selection of uh, formation and players, but just none of the bite that the Mourinho's team have. So, yes, I know we're jumping ahead, but Spurs have definitely gone backwards there. Um, I think for all the doom and gloom, and I think the table can somewhat cover over the the lack of cohesiveness that Manchester United have because they have such quality players. But Manchester United's fourth. They're level on points with Chelsea. They're level on points with Man City. So, like, you can't look at the table. Like, it's those cup competitions that are sort of, um, you know, pulling things out from under Oli because if you get knocked out of the Champions League in the first round again, like, you have to sack him. You don't have a choice. You mean just United. Yeah. Like, you can't just keep going down to the Europa League and being like, oh, this is okay now. Carabao Cup was the best chance for a trophy. Like, you have to start eventually delivering results. And I feel like they're just – they're – like the owners are like, oh, we've done enough to keep everyone happy. Like we've made a big signing. Everyone's excited. But they're just not looking at this massive problem that everyone knows there that they haven't got a world-class manager to support what, for the most part, is a world-class team or should be a world-class team. Yeah, I think you'll know it's over for Ollie when his best mate Roy Keane finally turns on him in the punditry and says he needs to go because he's been telling him to give him time for about the last three years. Oh, I'm so sick so, of that boys looking <laughs> out for each other. I know. Fucking hell. Does my head in. All righty. Let's, let's crack into the next one. It was uh, Leicester City 2, Burnley 2. Another bit, another sort of stuttering result again, Sean O, for Leicester. What was wrong with them this game? Well, I just don't think they could deal with um, the, the longer ball. So there was a couple of balls in particular that were being played um, by Burnley. That was sort of once they got on the ball, the centre-back sort of you know dropped it dropped it in. So whether that be um, Tarkovsky or Ben Mee, dropped it in um, and then got it back and either went down the line from there um, or let's say flicked it out to um, Taylor to sort of whip down the line. And those balls in behind like that were just causing Leicester so much problems. Like um, Bertrand had some troubles there. I mean, um, Sionchu, his troubles continue, especially with those balls that kept getting turned around. And Vestergaard as well. I spoke about on the preview whether Vestergaard would do really well in this game, some long balls coming in. But I think Burnley were clever about the long balls they played where they were sort of like whipped down the the channel where it didn't really matter how tall you are like it, because they're because they're played in behind you there's nothing you can really do mm-hmm. so yeah i just think those longer balls just absolutely killed Leicester. and then um the balls into the box as well once they did get did get on the ball in better areas i thought were good quality from burnley and then yeah obviously you got um chris wood up, up top um his boy ashley barnes um didn't get picked um no goals in in eight games 
um, meant that Vidra started. But yeah, that just caused so much chaos for, for Leicester. And they essentially just couldn't deal with the long ball and the seconds that went along with it. Mm. So two two things caught my eye in this game outside of the fact that Jamie Vardy scored at both ends, which was just fascinating. Um, great header for the first one too for that own goal. Like That was clean. I can't believe he was un- untracked yeah, front post like that. Straight across the front <laughs> stick. Um, one was the substitution of um, Lookman was interesting. I actually thought he was quite good and he sort of looked like he had a bit of dyn- dynamism. And then Brendan Rodgers got booed for taking him off. So potentially not all is good there. And the other thing that really irked me about this game was the um, gamesmanship of Burnley. Like they yeah, just, they're one nil oh, up. Yeah, Jesus doing, Christ, yeah, it was hard the worst to watch. At it. Oh yeah. God, yeah. But it's it's the first half, and you, you're one nil up because of an own goal, and you're like you know taking extra long on goal kicks, making like oh I'll throw it. No, no, actually you throw it like that type of stuff. And I'm like, man, this this game's gonna drag out. Southampton were t- trying to time waste last week. It uh, it was like halfway through the second half at nil all against City, which was uh, was up there with that as well. But I mean, that Burnley one's much more egregious, I think. I really enjoyed uh, Vardy spending more time insulting the uh, away fa- uh, sorry, yeah, the away fans <laughs> than celebrating with his own <laughs> home fans after he scored the goal. It was it was a personal attack on the like it was it wasn't like oh a whole group of people. He really gave it to him. There was so much I know. hate it. Like, and, then, and, then he, and then he scored at the other end and pointed him out from the other end of the field Does the pointing point. at his Spring. name. Yeah, that, that was, was, the, it was the so the good. Goal. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, the last goal had a bit of um, Adebayor about it. Um, just just like, <laughs> you know, a level 7 Adebayor, not a level 10 Adebayor. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, the goal that Leicester scored, the ball in from Tillemans was just so nice and a good finish by Vardy and yeah, he ran over and... Um, and gave it to, to the Burnley fans. So, yeah, I, I agree with um, with the opening comments, really, Barney, just that a stuttering start for Leicester continues. Some problems at the back. We really need Johnny back. Um, but then aspects and and moments where Leicester just looked, you know, to, to blitz um, Burnley and, and really cut them up. So, yeah, they look really dangerous for moments and they look really vulnerable for other moments. And to be fair, a draw was probably um, probably the right result. Yeah, I agree with everything that's been said so far on this one. Um, I did have a question for you, Sean, or, well, to anyone, I guess. Uh, how long do you think Tillerman stays at Leicester for? Do you think he goes soon? Like, gets poached? Yeah. Oh, I think that there's definitely going to be teams looking for him. Um, so, yeah, I think he, he signed a, a reasonably big deal, so it'll take a lot of cash to get him out of there. And I think the results in the Europa League are really going to drive what happens to Tillemans more so than... Than anything else, so yeah, big contract. So we're gonna have a, have to have a huge fee to get him out of there, and in the Europa League. Um, so yeah, I think those results will, will really drive it. There's a spot in front of Harry Maguire um, that he'd look good in, but um, I'm just interested now. So Leicester are 13th, two wins in the first six games, and we know they'd love a good late season fade out. So where does that leave them? <laughs> Top of the championship, uh, mid table. Oh, I feel. Like- I feel like if they fade away that like they normally do, we could be looking at a relegation battle again. Back yeah, to the I think the days. one thing the one thing that's on their side is Norwich are trash. Um, Brucey's boys, <laughs> Brucey's boys, thinking the join up. Leeds not really knowing what's going Leeds on. Leeds look like um, a championship the team the way they play. Yeah, Burnley yet to win a game. Um, yeah, I think there's some troubles there below them. So there's there's five teams who haven't won a match yet, and if <laughs> yeah. if none of them win again this uh, next match day, then it's the most teams to not win a game ever in a at the start of a Premier League, which is wow. crazy. Is there one team that uh, hasn't lost a game too? But we'll get to that later. Oh fuck yeah! No, <laughs> <laughs> no bugger it. We'll jump right right there now. Brentford three, Liverpool oh, shit, three already. So uh, you talked a big game there, Josh, but you're talking up how you haven't lost a game when you just drew with Brentford. So congratulations! Yeah, so still talk about that as well. So that's good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, No, but just to I guess caveat to that would be if you are listening to this podcast, there is a very likely chance that Brighton are actually top of the table now. So uh, I won't say too much more about the undefeated status. Um, The result, however, was probably a fair one. I'd say it was. I don't know if you guys would have thought this would be the highest scoring, arguably most entertaining game of the week, but uh, um, I want to get your thoughts on it and then we'll we'll dive into I, some nitty gritty. I thought it would be the highest scoring, uh, but I wasn't sure Brentford would Not for score. these reasons. Yeah. No, not this way, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I feel like it's a missed opportunity for Liverpool in a sense. Like Obviously, they should beat Brentford, but 
They also were up 3-2 and had four strikers effectively on the pitch. I just didn't and know missed, if that was all necessary missed one-on-ones. at 3-2. But yeah, they all missed I, like one-on-ones. But he could have just managed that a bit better, like just been a little bit yeah. like it's. I know it's part and parcel of this heavy metal Klopp style, but like he goes up by a goal, like just cool your jets, like just yeah. see the game out. They've usually been pretty good at that um, in previous games as well. Like in the last couple of years, being more disciplined about just getting the result once you're up. I don't know what I can't remember what minute we went up three two. Was it still like twenty or twenty five odd minutes to go? I believe. Uh, there was like yeah. there was twenty three minutes Fit, to go with that. Yeah, Curtis so Jones wonder struck. Fifty four yeah. minutes, you were two one up. Yeah, yeah, he might have he might have felt like yeah, trying to put the nail in the coffin a bit. And I think uh, Liverpool realistically should have done that. I think uh, Salah missed. I don't know if you saw that one on one was just that was embarrassing. I think I thought when it was happening that he thought he was offside the way he was so laissez faire about it. Um, and Jota missed two absolute sitters again. Uh, well, one was saved, world class save. Um, and Firmino kind of missed an absolute sitter as well. So could have killed it, but they didn't. And when that happens and you're sort of been a bit laissez-faire and sloppy at the back, uh, Brentford are going to have their chances. They really took them. A lot of scrappy, all scrappy goals, but, you know, they're goals. Uh, I think I think that's what was key for, for Brentford and what really, um, like, as you say, Job, there, Liverpool's rock and roll style is that once you get a goal, then you just keep going and you just you blow teams away. Like how many times have we seen Liverpool just like, you know, blitz a team and put three goals on? So I think Liverpool will try and do that. But what was key for the um, Brentford was just they replied to every goal like really short time after conceding. So I think that obviously kept them in the game um, and was just, yeah, good for their confidence to know that, oh, we're down, but don't worry. Yeah, we get that goal straight away. So you don't get a chance. Liverpool don't really get a chance to get on top of them and because I think if Liverpool did get on top of them, which is what I thought was going to happen, um, they could really, really blow them out. But similar to the Leicester game, I just don't think that um, Matip and um, and Van Dijk dealt with some of the, the longer balls and more, the more robust play that happened for Brentford. 100%. As you mentioned, how sc- yeah. scrappy, the, scrappy the goals were. Um, and they were all from like second efforts, like good, like good balls in in key areas and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, like that was just the, essentially how the game went for me. Liverpool tried to blow them out, but Brentford um, just you know fought and, and replied at good times, and that allowed the them to stay in the game and then get a really big point for them. I think it almost seemed like the Liverpool defense were a little bit shocked that Brentford was so scrappy, yeah, especially up front. Like they're like sort of like Van Dyke almost seemed to be moving in slow motion at times because you just couldn't believe that they were just so dogged at get trying to get to the ball at every little uh, point they could. But a few things I noticed was, one, Diego Jota winning a header again, and uh, I think it's Ayer in front of him. Unforgivable, like, isn't it? Uh, who's like a foot That's taller shocking. than he completely misses the ball. I know. Jota Ayer, nods in the header. Norwegian guy. Yeah. yeah, unbelievable. Secondly, how good was that ball from Fabinho? For Salah's Salah, goal. yeah, oh, he does it was, a couple that of times. Was delicious. Um, and third was the second Brentford goal, I believe, when um, they knocked one across from out wide, and Trent Alexander Arnold had to deal with three Brentford players on his own because no, the the backline didn't shuffle across quick enough, and he was just completely overloaded. There was always going to be a goal there because of that. Like that's just that's I'm that was a bit, you, a bit slow from Liverpool. Glad you brought that up, Barney, because I thought Trent Alexander Arnold really struggled. Um, in this game, I thought mm. they, they worked really hard to exploit him to get the balls in. Um, it was also very interesting to see. I know Van Dyke hasn't been dribbled past, but he was outlept for the second yep. goal. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was really it happy to so see. It looked so laissez-faire, didn't yeah. he? He looked so casual about Almost it. Almost too like casual. He, no, yeah, uh, that's the whole game was like that, I felt. I don't know. He just seems a bit off the pace, if you ask me. Um, yeah, I think um, Tony was getting up early. Getting there early, jumping early. That's what I always yeah. say. And you want a bunch of headers, little flick-ons, or at least flick it down and get the second ball. Um, Barney, just touching on that Alexander-Arnold back post debacle. I, I watched the replay back a number of times, trying to work out. There was four players. So did I. Like, I did multiple I'm times. I'm like, where did they it? come from? I, did, <laughs> I can't work it out. Like, the back line's shape wasn't that bad. Like, it wouldn't have made any sense for four defenders to shuffle over there. But I'm like, why is there four no, players no, no, in the back yeah. post? I, I, wouldn't ex- I wouldn't expect all of them to shuffle over, but I expect, like, one, like you know, that's where I didn't, I couldn't tell if it was um, Alexander-Arnold not talking or if it's them not listening to him because it's it probably happens too quick for him to even communicate what's happening. But, like, he's he's got three players on him and there's three Liverpool players there who aren't marking anyone. And they're he, in good shape, but they're not, like, they're also not, 
doing anything there. Like Matip could come across a bit and Fabinho mm. could come in and drop in. But yeah, he, it's difficult. He kind of did enough almost. Like he 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 didn't let him win a free header and it dropped down. And, and so Liverpool had chances to clear it and stop it. And it just scrapped in. Um, it's a nice little dink finish. But yeah, so that was, that was very frustrating. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think... If you, if I don't know if you guys watched the full game, but I felt Liverpool were the better team and should have won, but the result isn't unfair either. Brentford were good for a draw. I think it definitely wasn't yeah. a harsh one. And Come Brentford on the are going to be they're going to be one of those teams this year, buzz, especially buzz, buzz. at home where they're they're hard to beat because they've got a new stadium, good crowd, buzzing there like a bee. Alrighty, let's move on to the next one we've got here: Leeds versus West Ham United, and West Ham managed to squeak out the win. 2-1. Uh, Leeds were very injury riddled. Uh, two debutants in the back line. Um, so an already porous defense looking even worse for wear. Jubba, what was what were some things you saw from this one? Uh, so Leeds running their absolute guts out again. Doesn't matter who you put into that team. Holy shit, they try hard. Um, but I think the, the big story of this game was at the finish. So Mikel Antonio with his fifth goal of the season. Great little touch in there. He is proving to be the man for the big moments for the Hammers this year. How classy was that goal? I thought oh, it was yeah. so well taken. He's I, playing so well. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. like, I've, I'm not saying like, you know, oh, look at me. But I, like, I've always been a fan of Mikel Antonio, but his injuries have just derailed him completely. Um, and getting him a couple of games in a row and you just see how damaging he is. I think he's got a goal every game now, hasn't he? A goal or an assist. I think so, When yeah. he hasn't been sent off. Um, yeah. <laughs> so those are. Sort oh, of even scored that one. Yeah. Um, but like he he's he's added that like that different like perspective to that team that Alaire couldn't produce last year, and they're just flying like they're up into seventh now. They're just looking so hard to break down, and then just those moments that he can produce, like they're going to be very hard to beat this year. I think that's the yeah. problem with West Ham is they've got no weak points. Like, where do you expose that team? Like mm. there's no noticeable weak points for you to attack at. It's like everywhere around the field, they're not like the best in the league by by a long shot in a lot of positions, but they're like so solid. You're like, I don't know where to break this team down. And they're a Moisey team, so they just work so hard <laughs> yeah. as well. So Who's, who's the yeah. other centre-back? It was Craig Dawson and um, was it Kurt uh, Zuma? Yeah, it's, oh, it was. It was. Yeah, it was Zuma and it wasn't Dawson, wasn't it? Um, Issa Diop. Yeah, they, like they just look majestic yeah. throughout this game. Yeah. Like they look so powerful. Like Leeds were throwing everything at them, but they just – they were looked mostly untroubled outside of the Rafinha goal. Yeah, I'll uh, I will just remind everyone who's listening and you guys as well that uh, West Ham were my dark horse, so no surprises there that they're getting the results. And um, I will say about Leeds, I kind of touched on it just before. They look like a championship team in that that I you know how you say job they they run hard and they they kind of a lot of the time is pointless running though too because like it doesn't have the impact that i think they want it to so they're really physical like smash them up team sort of thing but they just don't have that finesse and passing um to back it up once they get possession of the ball like they can be really good going forward on counterattacks and that but i just the games i've watched them they just turn it over like coming out of defense or in the midfield just far too often for a premier league team uh, Zuma and Ogbonna um, were the two centre-backs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I, I think, Halsey, I, I 100% agree. Like, I think now we're at the point now we're six games in and they're winless where you're like, they have to change something because it's just, it's not working this year the same way it was last year. Yeah, I think I think as well they're like, got some seriously big injuries as well, which isn't helping them either. Like, no Bamford at the front is massive for them um, and they got, only one center, fit center back at the moment who would actually be in a normal match day squad. So that's really hurting him. But I think on that as well, I think the scoreline was probably a bit flattering to Leeds because Melier made some fantastic saves yeah. to keep him in it more. <laughs> he was like so good for, for some of those saves is unreal. And I wonder if in the next year or two, if like Leeds sort of don't perform at the level they want to, that he might be off. Someone might come in for him because he's, He's a a a great player, and uh, I think a uh, favourite of Michael Owen. Yeah, Barney, would you say he's yeah. gone back to his junior days at Leeds United with those types of yeah, performances? You, you saw him back at the academy, didn't you, Barn? Back in the day. <laughs> yeah. Don't need to research that. Just to, to clarify for those who those who are listening, uh, Michael Owen claimed that he remembers seeing uh, Melier at the Leeds Academy when he was sixteen. Um, and someone fact-checked him almost instantly and said, no, he's actually moved to Leeds on loan from Lorient when he was 19. <laughs> so Michael Owens is pretty much making up stories as he goes these days, which 
really doesn't surprise me for a man like I him. like it. It's way more interesting <laughs> what he's got that's to a bit say. Of, that's a bit of jeopardy, something different, though. You can't predict <laughs> Yeah. That. You've got to look it up and see if he's calling call bullshit on it. Or he, not. Just, he, he just lives in the moment and just says what he needs to. And he's, on, he's on to the next moment before you can even realize he's said something completely wrong, which is fantastic. But, uh, yeah, I think it's looks it's worry, worrying time for Leeds. Um, and Hammer's uh, back on the right way uh, and on the way up the ladder. Barney, it's time. Um, no, I think, let's move on. I think, I, think we need to, I think we need to dive into this. So um, I've requested to intro us in this segment. So we have the Mighty Gunners, Arteta's Men 3. Arteta's Boys, even. Smith Rowe, Saka, the boys. Tottenham Hotspur, nil. First question mm, no. Barney. No. Tottenham Hotspur won. Oh, they yep. get a goal. Oh yeah. shit. Well done. I can't Und- it. Undeserved. Completely yeah, okay. undeserved. Oh sorry, it was it was sun late. Uh, the horse had already bolted. But three one and um Barney, you've got some serious problems. Jobby, you must oh. have been one of those um, Spurs fans that left early. That's all. I think I Harry Kane left after at half time. At half time. <laughs> yeah, did you see him at the? It was like a thirty minute mark, and they cut to people walking out of the crowd, and they're like, yeah. "They're not actually so, leaving, are they?" Um, where did like, Harry Kane get, get you to pick him up from? Tea to settle in the middle of the field. <laughs> Sean, I I can only stay at the game as long as Endon Ballet runs. So I go home about fifty five minutes. Yeah. Fifty five. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it was. It was like. Because I, well, I, I didn't get up early in the morning to watch it, but I didn't check the result and watched it um, when I woke up this morning. And fuck me, it was a bad way to start your Monday morning. Like such a lack of just desire and intent to like actually go out and and try and challenge. For the, not even try and win, just try and challenge for the game. Like they just let Arsenal on the front foot from like as soon as the whistle went. And it was just so frustrating to watch. And like I was okay with like if your plans – to sit back and absorb a bit of pressure, like, you know, do that. And that's, that, that's, it can work for a bit. And then you push on once the other team sort of worn out a little bit, but like they, even the way they were sitting back was just like, it looked like such low effort. And like I mentioned last week, like having end on belly in there gives you zero defensive work rate. And there was a good picture. I thought, which, which summed up a, a probably Spurs entire game, which was Stavis and Sanchez had the ball on the halfway line in the back line. And, there was like three Arsenal players in front of him, like waiting for him to pass it, and all the Spurs players were sitting behind them. Barney, so just, just just on that Barney, terrible from Spurs. Like I watched the first and second goal, and they were fairly similar in like how they were sort of played through. But both times yeah. you're looking at, as you said, that like they decided to sit back, but then they made a decision not for everyone to sit back, and like both times on those counter attacks. I was looking at the Spurs back four and you're like, holy shit, they are so exposed right now. And it just seemed like there was like a bunch of Arsenal players running at them and they had no protection at all. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a defensive issue at this stage. I think it's a midfield issue. Um, and yeah. I think it's I – th- and I don't – like because like, you saw Hoiberg play last year and you saw him in the Euros. You know he's a good player and he, got, he works his socks off every game. And he looks lost out there at the moment. He doesn't know like where he's meant to be particularly. And then like Deli Ali's playing in a position he's he he never usually plays in, sort of like beside him. And then Endo Bele could be doing whatever, like anything. You never know what he's going to do next. But they're just like like the, the midfield don't know what to do. They don't know whether to push on or whether they're meant to be sitting back. And like they don't know if one's meant to sit or they're all meant because like there's so many like times now where Hoiberg is gone when the other two have already gone as well. And it just doesn't make much sense. You, and so then they're like completely exposed. You just can't play Endon Bele and Deli Ali together. Like Deli Ali was just, so lazy. Deli, he was yeah. so poor. And I know like so it's easy bad. to dig out a player, like a Mercurial type player like this in a situation where it looks like someone's just trying harder than you. But he was dreadful. And then at the end of the game, Nuno said, I won't name the individuals who didn't play the game plan right, but the game plan was not right according to the players who were on the pitch. And 100% he's digging out Deli Ali there. And justifiably so. But, Job, you're saying he's mercurial, which I agree with, right? But, he, I mean, when Jose had him, he played in the um, front three early until he got shipped out completely. Um, and then I think Poch had him in the front three as well. But now Nuno's, Nuno's got him in the midfield three. So he's meant to be next to um, Hoiberg and, and Skip and Ndombele. But I think, so, I think he thinks that he's a midfielder. I oh, know, and he's like, oh, he's you know, not. how you got the good guy at the club who's like, oh, I'm a centre midfielder. I think he thinks yeah. like, oh, I got to be on the ball. I got to be a six. I'm, you know, Paul mm-hmm. Pogba, and like he was just dreadful. 
if you're Hoiberg, you're just every week you're turning up just thinking, man, I'm going to have to do so much running. I've got <laughs> Novelle on one side and I've got Dali <laughs> Ali on the other and I've got to do all the work essentially. But they're, they're, they're playing a 4-3-3 at the moment and I think they've got to change to a 4-2-3-1 and have like Hoiberg and Skip sit and you both sit and screen that back four and try and like provide some defensive solidity because like they went the first three games, 1-0 wins, very unconvincing but like didn't concede and it probably papered over a lot of cracks in that team. And now we've conceded nine goals in three games against two average teams and one really good team. So like something's like systemically wrong with that team and needs to be addressed because it's just not working. And the cohesion between the like the midfield and any other like defense defensive t- like side of the team or the attacking side of the team is just so off. And like you could see how like Tottenham was str- like screaming out for someone like Odegaard on the other side of the field who was really linking the play well between like defense, midfield, and attack. And he was he had a really good game, I thought. And um and I mean Arsenal as a whole just played it really well, and we just like they weren't amazing, but they were just Smith just good. Rowe was outstanding as well. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Barney, there's a moment in the, in the first half. Oh, sorry. There's a moment in the first half where Sun picked the ball up on the left wing, and he looked up, and Lucas Moura was running the other way, and Harry Kane was behind him. And you're like, what are you, what are you going to do with that? Like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, Sun, just take them all on, like, because they just look all over the shop. He's thinking, shit! I just signed I, um, a four-year contract. That's, that's what he's thinking. I think I touched on this briefly in the uh, the group message, but um, the thing I hate most about Spurs for this uh, match was that they've like given Arsenal that confidence boost again. So they're like uh, another result for Arsenal, and it's kind of like you're the people that let them out of jail. Like you know what I mean? So it's like. We were we had them at the bottom of the table. We were making fun of them. It was hilarious. Now you dickheads have gone and ruined the fun, and now they're going to finish yeah. mid table or top, okay. top you, six. You you hate that as a Liverpool fan. Imagine how I feel as a Spurs fan. That we're yeah, no, you're suffering your jock. So that's yeah. Well, yeah but I, I think we're in danger of sort of bashing Spurs a little bit. But I think some credit has to go to Arsenal. We've you know we've been yeah. on them oh, definitely. so far this definitely. season in the podcast. But um, I think was it Tomiyatsu? I think that's how he said he was super yeah. Saka. Unbelievable, as you say, Odegaard was linking um, everything, and Smith Rowe's work rate, and he's running in behind um, from his starting position was just unbelievable. And even um, Aubameyang had like glimpses of like the old Aubameyang. So, yeah, I think like good signs for Arsenal. Obviously, they got a long way to go, and at the moment, um, like a lot of people are getting some joy out of Spurs. So, I wouldn't read too much into this if you're Arsenal fans. But at the same time, it is a signal that. Things are turning around. Smith Smith Rowe was outstanding. Like he had such a good game. He's just everything. He's he moving touched. up forward yeah. is, is is really nice, isn't it? Yeah, he he has like he you can see he's building the quality, but like you can't question his work rate or work ethic. He was absolutely outstanding and got the goal he deserved too. Yeah, I mean of those uh, young guys as well. Like like everyone's been talking about how good Sack has been, but then like Emil Smith Rowe has been playing for just as long as Saka and um, as, and has not been dropped at all out of the squad. So you can see the value he adds to the squad and how much like uh, the coach respects him and that. But yeah, going into the international break, Spurs were top of the league and Arsenal were bottom. And now Arsenal have just moved above <laughs> Spurs. Uh, so that was, that, was, that was unreal. All right, let's move on to some quick rapid fire results. So other games that were going on this weekend, we had Everton 2, Norwich 0, Everton back to winning ways and they're sneakily into the top five now, I think top six. They're yep, actually fifth. sort of quietly achieving well under old Rafa and Norwich looked as shit as they've always been. Uh, all right, Watford 1, Newcastle 1. Uh, this is you know unlucky for Watford probably not to get a result here, but um, two teams who are struggling a little bit at the moment especially in front of goals. Uh, Southampton nil, Wolves one. Raul Jimenez returns to his goal-scoring ways. And Josh, you wanted to touch on another moment you saw in that Yeah, game. just for those playing at home too, uh, Adama Traore uh, did not score again this week. Mm. So good to see Jimenez score, but isn't it? Like, I feel like everyone oh, had yeah. like a little tear in their eye when he finally got that goal. Great celebration. The work he would have done to get to that moment. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed him, his face, like after he scored, running over, just giving the big uh, jump and pump. Um, and because the amount of work he would have put in to, for that moment to get back in his life would have been like horrendous. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And you know he's fully sound of mind because he didn't square the ball up to Adama Traore when he was opening the six-yard box and went himself because that was a higher percentage play. So he's, he's back to 100%. He's all clear. <laughs> no, no brain damage. Fully Alrighty. sound of mind. <laughs> and the last game, which hasn't actually been played, but it might be by the time you listen to this pod, it's uh, Crystal Palace, Brighton, the big South Coast. Or is the freeway derby now, isn't it? Something yeah, the A76. Yeah, everything's a fucking derby Some these days. Re- Battle of the Birds. Tomorrow morning, so get on, get on to that one. All righty, Job, you got some uh, some other content for us here. <laughs> yeah, just call it other content. It's the biggest cup competition <laughs> in the world, Barney, the Champions League. So I've got a couple of key the Super League. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you wish Perez. Um, so a couple of key fixtures this week. So ones that I'm getting excited about are Real Madrid, Sharif. So we've got the Champions of Spain versus the Champions of Moldova. Sean, I know you're quite keen on Sharif. Um, so hopefully they can turn up. Dark horse. Real Madrid are flying in the league, so it could be tough for them. Um, next one is Milan versus Atletico Madrid. So this is going to be a cracking fixture and could determine who goes through in this group. Um, there's a couple of other teams in there, but I, I like both We're these one teams. We're one game in yeah, about who goes through. <laughs> yeah. It's a six-pointer. Yeah, <laughs> that was a dig. Um, the other one is... El Gasico or the oil firm derby, if you're that way inclined. So PSG versus Man City. PSG's league record this season reads eight wins, zero draws, zero losses. And Man City are firing at the right time. So that's 5 a.m. Wednesday Australian time. That is not to be missed. Yeah, but the PSG have only just scraped through some of those league games as well. Like they've been bailed out a few times, but like Hakimi got a double in the last game to bail them out. They're not looking too confident. Just double checking that table. Yeah, eight no, mate. Eat your words. Doesn't matter how you do it. That's league. That is league winning form. Um, that is Farmers, Farmers League, league winning form. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got Porto versus Liverpool, so that should be a good clash. RB Leipzig versus Bruges. Atalanta versus Young Boys. Sean, I know you always like to um, over at Young Boys. You'll be checking out Young Boys gag. on that day. <laughs> Especially after what they did to Manchester United. Um, spit it out. Spit it out. <laughs> that should be good. And then we've also got Juventus minus Paolo Dybala versus Chelsea this week. So I think Juve could be um, running into some trouble there. And then we finish off with a lovely Europa League final replay, Manchester United versus Villarreal. And this one could be very important for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's future. A loss here, and I think um, he might be heading down the Pompey Highway. You worried, Jabba? Uh, about the result or him or both? Well, I mean, one leads to the other, so. Honestly, I'm absolutely shitting myself. Like, <laughs> if we, Do you want him to go or stay? I, I, I want him to go, but I still want to be in the Champions League. Um, so, I, I don't know. I'm I'm sort of fighting on both sides there. So. The, pro- the, pro- the problem is you want him to go, but you don't want to start losing. That's why the question had jeopardy. Yeah, yeah, it's an emotional roller coaster. Um, so we'll do a quick review of the multi. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail. We lost. Um, so <laughs> boys, if you want to get in touch with the show, um, email us at footballplayedonpaper at gmail.com. We've got Facebook is football played on paper, Twitter at football on pods, and Instagram is also at football on pods. Have a great week. Enjoy the Champions League. Some Man City fan apparently slugged him. Oh, I like Jeremy. Shit, you're old. It was a direct attack at you. Like, you look every bit 30, huh? He'll be killed by a number of men in the dugout. Watch, watch, rumbles on. Pina colada, large one. <laughs> <laughs>